Hello, everyone. Today is January 7th, 2021, and you have Jake and Seth, and we're going to discuss a little news, um, and not real news for anyone, any listeners. There's a lot of real news going on right now, but we're clearly not qualified to discuss that. So we're just going to discuss some movie news of the past week. Um, Seth, how you doing, my man? I'm doing good, doing good. Uh, yeah, a lot of crazy real news out there. Happy to have the distraction of movie news. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> so now with that, first on our agenda item in terms of news is Chris Pine has revealed that he knows the story to Patty Jenkins' Rogue One or Rogue Squadron film. Rogue Squadron is part of the Star Wars mythology. Um and as we know, they're trying to expand this universe out, pad it out with all these supplementary characters and side stories. This is a natural, I think, a natural decision for someone who's, I'm not a big fan of the games. I think Rogue Squadron kind of looms larger in some of the games. Um, with that being said, um, I'm excited about I didn't realize that she was doing the film. I'm excited about it. I, so it's kind of a two-pronged news piece here. One, I, I, Patty Jenkins is doing it. Two, it looks like Chris Pine might be involved. Personally, uh, I'll go, I'll t- kind of circle back to Patty Jenkins in a minute, but for me, I feel like Chris Pine should already be in these films. Like I like, I mean, I like Oscar Isaac, but he would have been perfect as Poe Dameron. I, I think Chris Pine's a good person to get into Star Wars. I mean, I got, I agree with you. I think Chris, Chris Pine's a good get for like the Star Wars uh, franchise. Although it is kind of weird that it's like he was a big part of the Star Trek franchise. Then, like, how big of a part of the Star Wars franchise can it be? Is that going to cause any trouble with the fans? I don't know. See, people um, always say that, but we've talked about this. And granted, Star Trek and Star Wars is a little different. And, and I think I came into it. I know it was very different in the '90s and pre 2000. So I can see it. It might be. A little wrong but i don't think it's that it's like this as we said with marvel and dc it's more so the studios that have rivalries like fans yeah. are usually fans of both star trek's a little different I, there's not as much crossover but i like the star trek movies i think a better way to look at it is just like all these game of thrones actors and actresses who are great in game of thrones like and then they're being looped in this terminator movies or these i or uh x-men movies or comic book movies i think and we talked about this a lot i mean these IP movies, these comic book movies, these sci-fi movies are really the big blockbusters being made. So I think it stands to reason that the biggest actors, they'll be ju- jumping in and out of these. Yeah, genres. yeah. at this point, there's too many. You're right. It's like there's too many of these giant franchises, comic book movies, and these sci-fi. It's just like there's going to be crossover. Now, uh, that being it, said, like if Robert Pattinson now comes out as the next Captain America and he tries to do Captain America and Batman, <laughs> I do see that as being a problem. And I do think... WB is going to get diminishing returns with all these different versions of Batman out of this. That's not, yeah, I know. Yeah, like there's definitely there's got to be thresholds and lines that you can't really cross. I know what you're talking about. Um, I, I think it's interesting the Patty Jenkins news. You know, they released Wonder Woman, and then right after it kind of came out that she's going to be on for Wonder Woman three, and then it came out about this Rogue Squadron movie that Chris Pine's involved in. I, I guess the most interesting part about of her to me is that she has she clearly has a relationship with Chris Pine, which is like kind of a big deal for a director like that to have such a major actor uh kind of partnering with you in all these movies and so he was also I mean, in I, her tv show i am the knight sorry just to jump in there so just reinforcing yeah, that, that yeah they have a very strong working relationship but so yeah I, you know it's interesting for him too that he's sort of attached himself to that director um not that it's like you know i don't think it's like a Jane Austen uh, dating suitor game out there between directors and actors, but it's, it, I think it's just like noteworthy whenever you see an actor and actress 
just sort of like have that connection with the director. You know, the same thing's going on with that uh, series Ronan Girl and the director of Little Women and Lady Bird. Greta um, Gerwig. Greta Gerwig, right. They have the same, a similar thing is going on there. I just think it's interesting when that happens with a director and actor. I can't remember. I think we talked about this as Ed Norton, how he never found a director who he could laugh yeah. at twice. And uh, I, I can't speak to it fully now. And I feel like we've kind of touched on it before, but there even Leonardo DiCaprio, he synced up with Chris Scorsese. That's how, like he kept syncing up with Scorsese, and then yeah, and Brad and Pitt. And used to be up. De Niro with Scorsese. That was like Scorsese's first guy. Yeah, and now you've got people. Now it feel like Quentin Tarantino is the whisperer, and you have Brad Pitt jumping into his movies, and he's winning Oscars. And so it's interesting. I, it's not the connection I would have guessed, but I feel like there. I think there might be more crossover. I think. I mean, it's happened throughout history. You know, Hitchcock had his phase with Jimmy Stewart, and then you know he had a phase with uh, with other actors and stuff. And so it's not it's, it is common to happen, I think. But um, it's not unheard of. I just think it's interesting that them, yeah. and part of it is this is one of the things I want to say about Patty Jenkins. First of all, I love her, but I didn't realize she was so inactive in movies from 2003 to 2017. Looking at what she did on TV, I loved yeah. that she was on Arrested Development, Entourage. The Killing, which I didn't love, but she, the epi- I, I know that was a well-received show. Uh, I Am the Night, I did not love that show, but, um, but, but, but. And she's like a commercial director to me, you know what I mean? Where it's mm-hmm. like, she's going to make successful commercial stuff. And I, you know, for Pine, it's like, hey, at least you'll always kind of like be making money, I guess. It's just sort of like, I don't know. I had a hard time coming up with a sports analogy for her because she, she broke out young at Monster it's like if she played baseball yeah. and then she switched to basketball for 14 years and came back and was an incredible baseball player again. That's not even a good analogy, but it's, but I really like her. Uh, I'm excited. I hope she does Rogue Squadron. It looks like her next film's Cleopatra, which I feel like is one of the white whales of Hollywood. It going oh, that is, uh, I mean, well, I mean, the, the Elizabeth Taylor one was successful, I guess, but it is kind of like a white whale of a, of I, a thing. To- it made money. But it, it ultimately lost money because it was the most expensive movie produced at the time, and I, I think... and ultimately the way it's remembered, uh, having this white woman portray Cleopatra, it's just not a great look on old Hollywood. Honestly, yeah. although I at the same, I, I will say I've watched that movie in its entirety. It's like a three hour plus movie. Uh, tremendous performance by Richard Burton, in my opinion. No, no, I'm, I'm not saying it's not a great movie, but I'm saying there. I don't think there's been that great Cleopatra movie. I mean, they spent yeah, tons agree. of money. I know Angelina Jolie was involved with like one of the, with the production of it for years or something. How do I? I feel like Oliver Stone is part of that. Yes, I think if Alexander had worked, I think Cleopatra would have been like on the table for him, kind of thing. So yeah, I'm looking at it right now. So it ended up making money. It was made for 31 million in 1963. So keep that in mind. And it made yeah. fifty-seven eight at the box office, which isn't great. But then it made another forty in uh, rentals. So I there's mean, some, there's some stunning uh, set work scenes. Uh, Cleopatra's arrival into Rome. I remember it's like this uh, unbelievable scene. Uh, but also some of the acting, like I said, Richard Burton, really good. I think he plays Mark Antony. I can't remember who plays Julius. Yeah, Caesar. I think so. All right, sorry, we we fell down a little <laughs> rabbit hole there. Um, now you kind of touch on the other topic I wanted to touch on was. Wonder Woman 3. So we talked about it briefly in our conversation. We were, we were expecting this. I think you actually said it might have been announced as we were talking. So we're not surprised yeah, by right. this. Yeah. But w- I wanted to circle back because you asked me what I wanted from them in the third movie after being disappointed with the second. Um, and I thought about it more. And 
I said this last time, but really to streamline it, dive into the comic book mythology. You don't need a hundred villains, but as we said, you only introduced two new characters, really Cheetah and Max Lord, and neither of them are really properly developed. And I just was thinking about the first movie, her crew in just her own crew, that what team in uh, Germany, which was really just only the second act. There were six people in that crew. That was like more than the entire film in one act. They had, it was just have more characters. If you're going to tell a two and a half hour movie, you need more than six characters and just don't be. And the other thing also dive in, use more characters from the comic books. And also you need, you need to be able to be a little edgier. I'm sorry. It, it doesn't need to be like a Zack Snyder, crazy violent thing. And it doesn't need to be like over sexualized or anything like that. But this film was so thinking about it. It was just, it was neutered. They, they, I get that she's trying to move away from the shield. She didn't want her to have a shield and sword. Um, and I get that with the imagery. I also get it just from the point of making her like, don't make her rely on weapons. She's a superhero. Don't, don't, don't have her be. So I, I get that. So, um, but with that being said, this film just felt like, and we talked about this. It felt like a film that wasn't really trying to have a villain. It was trying to make everyone too sympathetic. It, it just didn't work. Have more edge, have a centralized villain, and don't be afraid to dive into the mythology. I'm not even a Wonder Woman fan, but just give me more characters than the, as we said, the top two of the top six build people aren't in the movie past the first five minutes. Yeah, yeah. That was rough to, to kind of like kill your the depth of your cast that way. I, I also, I rewatched uh, the first Wonder Woman with Brooklyn recent after i watched the 1984 and the first one it's just a better movie it was like objectively a better movie and easier to watch and there wasn't much uh there just i just wasn't sitting there nitpicking it the whole time i was like oh this makes sense that she would do this and they'd go do this and they're dealing with the germans and this is the war and she's confused you know it's like is this area you know it's a great war but like is this areas i don't know it was all kind of it, it all felt much more natural and the the flow of the plot felt much everything about 1984 just feels convoluted and like they're stretching stuff and trying to make you know patching stuff together and it's just like it all just felt like a like a processed meat kind of thing i agree so this so this is my take um the first one the first one's message was really what pine it's a conversation between pine and godot or Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor at the end, where he is the as part of the Entente or the what we know as the Allies. Uh, they're talking about the war, and he's talking about good side and bad side. Oh, or she's talking about good side and bad side, and there's like just uh, talking about areas is responsible. And Chris Pine or Steve Trevor character is like, no, we're all responsible. Like everyone, both sides did something, right, yeah. and even if and then regardless, like once it started we're both responsible for our actions. And to me, I mean, you get into chills now, it's such a powerful message. And it's, it's well, I really gravitate towards those stories, movies, books, TV, TV shows, whatever they are, that deal with those type of gray issues, that deal with morality and they take a stand or, or they're trying to say something about it. And I think that movie had something important to say and it's that war can make monsters of us all, but there can still be light at the end of it. And that's the way, that's the way I kind of viewed that film. And this film's trying to come up with a big message too. And it's just, this to me, it was so funny for a film, 1984, this film remind me of really sequels of like prior to the 2000s, right? I think Dark Knight was, or X-Men 2 was one of the first really good sequels, Spider-Man 2. But prior to that, sequels were pretty much known for just, they were either completely 
they either went in completely the opposite direction from the first film and it lost what was special about it, or they just rehashed what the first film did with diminishing returns. And, and, that, two, yeah, and like that's what happened with this. Yeah. So between the early, the Christopher Reeve Superman and the, the Burton Batman franchise, like the, the further they went, the goofier and the crazier they got and the more like kind of ridiculous they both got. And I think that was just kind of like the, the, the gold stick. Like people were just like, yeah, that makes sense. Like these tapered off, like we'll all move on. <laughs> and the, I mean, I think the problem with this film was, and we talked about it, I, I'm not going to rewrite it and I'll move on after this point. But the one thing I'll say is we talked about strategy and conception. They had the right decision this film should have been more personal. Sequels are about the villains. I, that's what Christopher Nolan said. Or that's I, that's something in the first X-Men, it was about, actually, that, just in Nolan's franchise, the first Batman, you have a couple of villains, it sets up Batman. The second one's about Joker. The first one was about the hero. The second one's about the villain. Make it personal. And I think they tried to do that with Cheetah, but again, they didn't go far enough to make her a villain. They didn't develop the relationship. They didn't show the sense of betrayal between the two characters. There was just none of the tragedy or drama that they wanted from that relationship, and, and it really suffered for it. It's just, uh, and I'm, I'm diving too, I'm diving too deep. You already talked about Wonder Woman too. Nineteen, excuse me, Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. Um, I'm just coming back to. Oh, the other thing, the reason we're talking about it is, you were right. I've actually listened to it. There, there is some. I think a lot of the backlash is toxic. At the same time, like I listened to Rewatchables, a recent one, and it was a couple of the. I'm blanking on their names, but they're the females. And uh, I actually oh, yeah. have similar taste. I know they really liked Wonder Woman, the first one, and they didn't like it. And they weren't bashing it, saying it was the worst film ever. They were pretty harsh on it. And I've kind of gone around to like Collider, some of the other talking heads who I, who I listen to within the nerd comic book space. And there are a few just straight up homers. And when I say that, I mean the people who will love it no matter what. Like I am kind of yeah, like Marvel. Yeah. Although I'm willing to call out like Captain Marvel and some of those films, uh, there there are, but there was more like strong negative reviews than I anticipated. Um, I think you were right. You're right too, though. Like the whole culture of social media now, especially when a comic book movie is released, like just the amount of hot takes on both sides is just like pretty absurd. Like nobody's really giving an objective take as soon like right when the movie comes out, and so it's just like within the first two days that wonder Woman movie every take i read was either glowing or just bitterly upset about it <laughs> so i worked um this is just a little quick side story i worked at a company called crave online and we ran we owned some digital properties and we and their main content was talking about these type of movies video games this type of superhero the, the, all this content we discuss and there was a strategy there's a specific critic who's actually, he's, he's, he's come a long way since Crave Online started. So I give credit to him. His name is William Babiani. And so what, I don't know whether he was directed to do this or whether he just figured it out himself. He would give the worst movies great reviews, <laughs> knowing that they would use his name and the site when they promoted it. And if you're an oh, awful wow, movie, yeah. that, and so as our company started getting in, all these endorsements are included in marketing, but it was for bad movies and it was for, though that being said, that kind of raises profile. And then he started getting more. So I guess what I'm saying yeah. is, is like, th there's a reason behind it. And this isn't just cynical stuff. There's yeah. to your point, people are purposely trying to put hot takes out there, whether it's clickbait, whether they have their other motives, but yeah, it's ignore the social media. You have to take it all into account. 
it's just crazy because it's the kind of thing like when i grew up it was like i had to search high you know i had to buy a magazine like entertainment weekly or, or i had to wait for cisco and ebert to come on to get like a take you know what i mean it's just like it's crazy that we live in this world now where immediately a movie comes out and i have thousands and thousands of unfiltered takes <laughs> more yeah it's uh but you still, it's almost as useless because, as we said, you can find know, whatever yeah. you want. It's, it, I think it's easier now. I'm a big fan of the aggregator. What's that old comment? It's uh, gossip can't tell you like facts, but it can, can tell you truths. Like if you listen to a lot of gossip, like, like that was like a, a, something from Game of Thrones where this woman, that was a, that's like a Christopher Walken and Suicide Kings. He's always like, you can always trust the woman on the street. Well, so it's, it's so the logic is in Game of Thrones. There's a queen invades the city and she can't, she gets all this different information. So she starts bringing in commoners and asking them what rumors are. And I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something like that. It, she's like, yeah. it's basically like, I have all these different facts, but the reality is whatever the people think. So it's like whatever their rumors are, like, and then whatever the rumor is, whether it's true or not, someone's spreading it. So if it's not true, who's spreading that? Who does that help? So that's kind of, I'm, that's actually more I think, Game of yeah, Thrones. Like, I'm, I'm diving too deep there. I'm just saying, I, I think you can kind of see the forest with the trees if you take a step back. But so I like Rotten Tomatoes. I also, I look at Rotten Tomatoes and then it's just like, I also look at the way they market the films, like the trailer. If they're giving everything away, it's probably not good. Yeah. I'm not that we're here to talk about how to forecast the movies or anything, but I think you need to, I always like to get a couple reviews. What I always do for the Rotten Tomatoes reviews is um, I just, I actually go to the top critics and then I look at the negatives uh, and I look yeah. at, I look at a few of the negatives. And I look at a few of the positives and I said, it's, for, it's like what I do for Yelp. It's like when if you place cross out the, the most vitriolic and the most prolific uh, of reviews go to the middle and just see if like four, five different reviews in a row say that, Hey, this film's not great, but it's funny. Then it's probably funny and kind of stupid. If five right. things yeah. say, Hey, this film is stupid, but it's got some jump out scare moments. then guess what? It's probably not that smart of a horror movie, but it's got some jump scares. Like, so that's my approach. There's also, yeah. Like I, there's also when I was like really more into figuring out what was happening, like the, the movies that are winning awards at festivals, particularly like audience awards and the, like the, the full critic award where it's like a group of critics voting on it. That's when you can kind of tell a movie is affecting people. You know what I mean? When you, when it's coming into a festival and creating buzz out of nowhere. Well, I was going to say one of the best things, this is a kind of a cheat code, but I used to go to films on Thursday nights on Thursday night. Uh, Cause in New York city, oh, yeah. they started yeah, having, the instead of opening at midnight, they'd have start shows open at five or 7 PM. And I could just tell, and I mentioned this in one of the, uh, one of the films we're seeing, I think it was Justice League. Um, but the, you can tell, I walk into that and if it's packed and there's excitement, I'm like, okay, this is probably a film people are going to go to a couple times. But all right, we're, yeah, kind, of, we're kind of falling down that rabbit hole. I'm sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull us back on track sorry. here. Um, other piece of news I have for you, sir, is Richard Donner confirmed the Lethal Weapon 5. Is that, I mean, am I am I the Scrooge here saying that it's too late, the the ship has passed, or what? I mean, it really. If you watch Lethal Weapon four, it really feels like that's the last Lethal Weapon in a lot of ways. That's exactly um, what I said. Uh, I can understand though that all those guys probably you know want one last paycheck 
uh, for the road or whatnot, and they're all alive still. Um, I will, I'll say this, Jake. It's like <laughs> you put Briggs and Murtaugh back out there. I mean, I don't know if you can convince Joe Pesci to come back for this kind of a movie. <laughs> but if you can get Pesci and Chris Rock to get in there too, and Renee Russo, it's like, I'll watch the movie. You know what I mean? I'll see but if you can't... It'll be more like a reunion special of a TV show, yeah. I used to like, than like, it'll be an event in that sense. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. It's like, I, I mean, you can't, at this point, you can't have Glover like out there trying to be a cop, right? He's got to at least be a desk guy. He's been <laughs> saying, I'm too old for this shit since 1985. Literally. <laughs> Since 1985, and I'm, I'm I'm not trying to be a jerk. You can do whatever the hell he wants, but I mean, I know it's just you can't tell me that he's still on the streets. There's no way. No, there's no way. There's no way. I'm, sure, I'm not buying it. I'm sure Gibson can shave and cut his hair, and you know, kind of convince me that he can still run around and be like a crack shot or something. I mean, what are the chances they're going to fight some neo Nazis? So you can have Gibson. Or you know, if I was the writer of the movie, honestly, I think it's like you need a new like army vet from Iraq who's like the new lethal weapon, and like he, and it's like you know, Riggs is the only one that can train him, right? Because he like has the experience of being a lethal weapon from the army. Okay, who do you cast? That's a good, that's a, okay, uh, I mean. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry, I, did, I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Um, I'm trying to think of who I would cast as a young, uh, Mel, as a young, like, Mel Gibson's, like, kind of, I guess it doesn't have to be his son, but, like, maybe a young, oh, see, it could be, we could go with an African-American character. <laughs> <laughs> we can do whatever you want, Seth. Um... I, do you know what I'm going to say? If you really want to play the game, I think you got to do uh, Latina, Latinx. Oh, I was almost about to say Michael B. Jordan is a lethal weapon. <laughs> I could do that. Um, I'm, I'm on board for that. <laughs> I'm all in. I love Michael B. Jordan. I, I think that would actually be a really good vehicle for him. But... I don't know. It, it, see, it, right now, you're right. It feels more like a reunion TV show where these guys kind of want to get paid off. But I, it's hard to be like, oh, I'm really going to take Lethal Weapon 5 seriously. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> agreed. It's, I mean, unless it's like a complete farce and spoof, and it's they're like winking in the, in the eyes, and like, oh, we're too old for this shit. And it's like a plucky yeah. little, oh, they got to figure out who stole the Christmas tree from a 70-year-old cop, Danny Glover. But I'm, uh, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of at the same point with the Die Hard franchise too. It's like I, you know, I love Die Hard with a Vengeance, the third one. It's like I was okay with the Live Free Die Hard one, where it's like the hacker storm or whatever with Timothy Olyphant. I was like, okay, like let's just cap it there. But then they did the one in Russia with his son. I was like, okay, now we went too far. You killed the whole I, thing. I'm a huge apologist for Live Free or Die Hard. I saw that in theaters and I loved it. I thought it was so I and like okay. It hasn't aged great. It hasn't aged great. But I'm just saying, I walked into that. That was one of the few films. I didn't really have that many. I saw it in the summer. I was really into movies at the time. I didn't have super high expectations. Uh, for me, for that franchise, I thought of it as Die Hard 1 was great. Die Hard 2 wasn't that great. Die Hard 3 was great, but in a different way. And one that I didn't really appreciate until I was older. I didn't love it as much in my 20s when I saw Die Hard 4. And I thought Die Hard 4 was awesome. I thought it was or like a modern retelling of the first Die Hard. Mm. But with that being said, it's someone else. I, there was a show that recently made fun of it. I think it was a, 
The Office. And it's totally accurate. He, he's not an everyday guy by Die Hard 4. He's literally a Superman. He's taking down jets and helicopters. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's the part, where, yeah, where it's like it goes a little beyond what I thought his capabilities were. That would be my critique of that movie. They yeah. did, and I get it. But for me, I, I just look at it like a step back. It's the 2000s, it's all superhero films. They're making John know, McClane yeah. into a superhero, but then they kept doing that into the fifth film. And also, the fifth film is just stupid. Nobody cares. There's no chemistry. There's I actually twist. thought the movie um, 16 Blocks with him and Mo's death, I was like, that should have been Die Hard 4. And this live free Die Hard like, could have just been, you know, an action movie. Okay, it's funny <laughs> you say that. Weinstein and I love 16 Blocks. Have I like that, that movie one? too. Mo's death is amazing in it. Have you ever seen Hostage with Bruce Willis and it's got Ben Foster? Because that's another... Yeah, yeah. That's another Bruce Willis gem from like the 2000s. And by that, I mean, if that movie came out in the 90s, it would have been a huge hit. Yeah. yeah. In the 2000s, that film and 16 Blocks, just those type of films, it was, it was really as Hollywood is moving to these bigger blockbusters. It wasn't, it wasn't groundbreaking stuff. It was kind of like retread, but they were still good. (laughs) But the reason those films didn't make money is because you're paying Bruce Willis like 25 million and that's doubling the budget. So instead of having like a sleek 25, $30 million movie, it's 60 to 70. He kind of notoriously became tough to work with in that period, too. Well, the, I'll cap it at this, but the famous story with him, as I'm sure you know, is uh, we're working on Expendables 3, and Stallone, Sylvester Stallone, who's a friend of his, was going to pay him $3, $3 million for three days of work, which is more than he was paying anyone else in terms of like the daily rate. And <laughs> something happened. They needed him for a fourth day. And so Bruce Willis is like, yeah, sure, I need another million dollars. And Stallone is also the director, and he's the creative force and producer behind it. And they had this huge falling out, and he basically called them out on social media. You can look it up. They recast him with Harrison Ford, and uh, they haven't worked together since. Okay. And, I mean, Bruce Willis's career, we're going to do it. Yeah, I mean, that, that Kevin Smith had him. Cop Out's a bad movie, that Kevin Smith movie, but Kevin Smith just says that he went from one of my heroes in, in Die Hard to, like, one of the biggest assholes in my life when I tried to direct him in that movie. I mean, I watch his films. He stopped trying. Yeah. He stopped trying. I mean, there's no other way to say it. Um, well, we, we, don't, we don't need to dwell on that. We don't that. need to trash Bruce Willis any further. Yeah. Uh, okay, the last piece of news I have, uh, we can keep this one short, but uh, I don't know if you knew this. Uh, I mean, I sent you the article, so I hope you do. But Ray Fisher, who was Cyborg in the DC movies, is refusing to work with Walter Hamada, the head yeah, of DC EU Films. So two things here. One, Walter Hamada is the head of the DC EU Films. So is he trying to set up a ultimatum for the company to choose between someone who's really like a minor to moderate actor or that or Hamada with that being said I don't think Hamada's done a great job I'm not super aware of his career but I don't think he's done a good job with the DCEU but uh so my question is one what's his end game and two is this not a result of them caving the Snyder and just this all this started once they caved to Snyder and ever since it's then, a, yeah, I mean, it sounds like a disgruntled actor who didn't like the cut of the movie. Um, and now that Snyder's re-releasing his movie, this actor and his honestly, it's probably his agent more than him. Although I don't know all the details, but I'm guessing the agent is now trying to leverage it more. So I would, I mean, I understand that cyborg guy feeling a little slighted because it's, I mean, like you said, of the characters in the DC universe right now, he's probably the least well known. No, I, I don't hear any kids playing cyborg out, out in the 
playground, you know? My daughter, she pretends to be Wonder Woman, you know? She she likes Batgirl and Batman. You know, to she be fair, I don't think she's the same demo. Uh, I think it's a different demo <laughs> who are true. pretending to be Cyborg. With that being said, uh, no, that's totally fair. I mean, th this is where I'm coming from. I, I believe White Whedon's an asshole, and I do believe that the studio treated yeah. Zack Snyder poorly. But with that being said, this is the problem. He has tons of comments talking about how great it was working with Zach Whedon and everything, or a Joss Whedon leading up to it. So it's a little hard now to be like, oh, was he really that awful? So awful you're willing to take the stand when you were saying all these nice things about the film? It's like, but the only thing now is the film flopped. Your your role was also cut. He was one of the big cuts from the studio. Yeah. And this is the this is where I'll leave it. I get that he's upset. But like this honestly sounds more like sour grapes because just to, let's, let's level this out here. The Justice League film wasn't good. And we'll see what Zack Snyder's version is. But as we've discussed before, that's a four hour film. That's not a film either. So there was no great, there was no billion dollar film where Cyborg was going to be the star. And one last thing, Cyborg was not one of the more well-received parts of that film. Very few things were well-received in that film. His character, people liked his performance, but his character was thin and the CGI was awful. So it, the idea, there, it wasn't like the Hulk in Avengers where everyone was clamoring for more cyborg or Hulk. He, he was a bit role in it. And, and that's kind of, I think, yeah, I think it's sour I agree. grace. That, well, the only thing I enjoyed about his character was the T2 connection I was drawing from his doctor scientist guy. Um, so I just hope they keep that guy whenever it happens. <laughs> I got, bad news. Uh, I got bad news. He, he, he dies in the new Whedon version. That's one of the other changes oh, no. they made. So uh, you can kiss that connection goodbye. <laughs> well, it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of uh, kissing connections goodbye, I think it's uh, time to put the old cap on the news section. You ready to, right. to sign off, my friend? Signing off. Anyone who wants real news, you know. <laughs> Check multiple sources. I think that's what yeah. we've learned today. Go to, go to a couple sources you do and don't trust.